discouraged, oh, I realize it's hard to take courage in a world full of people. You can lose sight of it all, the darkness inside you makes you feel so small. You can be amazing, you can turn a phrase into a weapon or a drug. You could be the outcast or be the backlash of somebody's lack of love. But I wonder what could happen. Joseph Aki is a San Francisco-based poet, singer, musician, author, and marketing manager. He is mostly known for his spoken performances for the past 30 years in the San Francisco Bay Area, as well as shows in Nashville at Bongo Java and Victor Victoria, San Diego at Winston's, New York at the Bowery Poetry Club, Chicago at the Green Mill, and Los Angeles at Highways Performance Space Santa Monica. He has mostly been performing at venues such as Sausalito Yacht Club, jazz bars, wine bars, and wineries in recent years. He is the author of the poetry collections Town and Country, Where Bright Stripes Go, and Hill People. He recorded a collection, Afterbeat, and together with Giles Reeves, he recorded a live production of his poetry show, Industrial Strength. His work ranges from meditations and satirical commentary on contemporary urban life to the poetry of place. Joseph often colors his live performances with vocalists and instrumentalists who provide dramatic voices and experimental musical backdrops using spare electronic sounds and pop and jazz stylings. He lives in Sausalito, California. He is also the marketing manager for Golden Gate Performing Arts, a.k.a. San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus and the National LGBTQ Center for the Arts. He can be found on Instagram at Joseph Aki, that's J-O-S-E-F-A-U-K-E-E, or his website, josephaki.com. You can also hear a few of his recordings at ReverbNation.com backslash Joseph Aki. His book, Town and Country, is available on Amazon.com. Can you hear me now? <laughs> Hello there. How's my life? You look fantastic, featured artist. How are you? <laughs> my COVID hair is here. Yeah. <laughs> Good to see your face. It's been, um, boy, oh boy, I guess like 10, 11 years since I've seen you. I met you via Joshua in San Francisco. I do not remember how or why. I'm assuming alcohol was involved and that possibly we were at, I don't know, a spoken word night somewhere. I believe the first time you met him is actually when he came to uh, as our first featured reader when we started poetry readings at the depot in Mill Valley. Um, This was shortly after the publication of Town and Country and we started carrying it at the bookstore there. And uh, yeah, as I said, he was our very first featured uh, poet. That's right. I do remember you uh, recalling that recently. Do you recall that night, Joseph? I do. I, absolutely. Um, I don't remember you specifically being in the audience that, at the depot, but... Yeah. I, I managed the depot at that time. So, oh, okay. That's right. Yeah. So uh, poetry had been done there before. Many of us were up in NorCal that were friends of Joshua's, and we really felt he needed to join us up there. And because he was so involved in poetry, it just seemed like, you got to be up here. And then... Yeah, that's what Joshua just said. Yeah, perfect. I've been doing uh, multiple shows here since uh, about uh, 1999 or 2000 in Sausalito. I've been um, 
a little off the typical grid for poets in the Bay Area in the fact that I haven't, I did get my master's at San Francisco State University in poetry, but I hadn't followed the full academic track, so to speak, of the poet gets the master's or what PhD and goes to teach. I really try to take my work anyway and others who have performed with me out to venues where people actually already go rather than a, a, a study hall at a university. So that's kind of how that sort of came about. My very first show in San Francisco was at a little place called the White Room with the Blue Glow, which is now known as the Knock Knock Club. It was the first water bar on the West Coast. And I had a keyboard friend who happened to be in town from Nashville on his honeymoon and played literally a kitty keyboard for me from the audience. And I dragged in uh, uh, this Russian, exotic Russian woman off the street to read with me a few pieces and just went for it. It was called um, A Self-Peeling self Orange. And uh, it was a, a crazy way to start, but I actually just did my 30th anniversary reading there just this last year. And like any true poet, that's a brilliant story that you it would take a creative writing class in order to come up with. Like, well, I gave this thing and a guy from Nashville and a little play keyboard and an exotic Russian woman I didn't know on the street. You know, like, that's fantastic. <laughs> now, speaking of places where you have performed in the past 30 years, Winston's in San Diego. I used to live a block yeah, away from there. Went there all the time. How did you come upon Winston's? Well, it was through Joshua and our other friend there, whose name's going to escape me. Chris Vanoy. Chris Vanoy. Who actually and, was just <clears throat> nominated a Beat Poet Laureate of America. Um, but we could talk about that another time. In fact, I'd love to feature him at some point. But that is actually the very first place that Joseph and I ever met. Um, he came down. Chris invited him down as a featured poet because um, we used to do that about once a month. We'd have somebody come down or come in from wherever. And uh, before I ever moved up here, uh, before, you know, like this was a thing. Um, and ironically or, or interestingly, this didn't come about until I think he, had, he and I had met up here at the back of the No Name over many drinks and cigarettes uh, that it came up like, wait a minute, I know you. It's like, uh -huh. you were at Winston's. You were the featured reader like six months ago through Chris. And he's like, holy, yes. So he's actually... The running joke is he's my oldest friend in the Bay Area, even before I moved to the Bay Area. Yeah, that was a super fun event. I consider myself still an honorary member of the San Diego Drunk Poets Society. So That name I do recall. I think that's, you mentioned that at some point, Joshua. Oh, yes. DPS. That was every Monday night at Winston's. It was fantastic. And that's how I met Chris and so many people. Um, but well, uh, And for those who don't know Winston's, it's really a rock and roll club, kind of a uh, it's kind of the hate street of San Diego down there. And uh, so that was pretty fun to do. And um, it's always been something, I come from rock and roll business in Nashville actually. So I was used to being in clubs like that. So it didn't, wasn't uncomfortable at all. Uh, it was a fantastic venue. Unfortunately, about four or five years ago, they, they shut down the uh, DPS. Um, and Chris has since taken it elsewhere. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a fantastic, I mean, you've been there, you know, it was a fantastic venue for poetry. You know, you get on a good night, you'd have 150 people in there and, you know, beautiful lighting and a stage and, you know, great sound. And it was definitely a place to shine. Yeah, there are um, some other artists that I've reached out to who have performed at Winston's. I don't know if you recall Al Howard and the K23 Orchestra. 
Yeah, but he's uh, he hasn't responded to me. He's busy with his own production company now. Um, so he's really he's really evolved. But and then you also it seems that Joseph, you and I share some cities in common. So San Diego is what I call home, and then the Bay Area is where I moved after that, and now I'm in the New York City area. So you have been in New York with your poetry. You performed at the Bowery Poetry Club. I have. Well, I started out, uh, and I know you've talked to Julie Mellon, the violinist who works with me, but uh, I grew up outside Detroit. And so uh, I was raised and reared Detroit boy, and then I moved to Nashville to go to college, where I worked in the record business for about five, six, seven years. Uh, and then uh, with a short stint to New York way back then for a, a rock and roll job that fell through, but I wandered up uh, around the New York area for a while and then back to Nashville and then back to, and then I moved to San Diego for a year before coming to the Bay Area. In the oh. late mm -hmm. So so equally we have in common the the bouncing around. And Nashville my uh my until a few years back we had a family reunion every other year in Tennessee uh at Ed Grevin State Park which is right between Nashville and Cookville. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the the longest running static things in my life were these family reunions. So, and every time we went, after I was old enough to drink, we would drive the 30 minutes to Nashville just for a change of pace, get out of the woods and experience some nightlife. Love Nashville. Anybody I think that is artistically inclined, especially musically, would enjoy that. It's a little Mecca, a tiny little musical Mecca. Oh, yeah. um, so you've had, you've, you've bounced around, had quite a few uh, cultural experiences. So if you could, Share with us where you were born and like what you recall of growing up, where you grew up and how that influenced you as an artist. Oh, okay. Um, well, I grew up uh, in Wayne outside of Detroit, about 10 miles. Um, and uh, it was, uh, I guess, sort of suburban uh, living, but it was uh, gritty Detroit suburban living, you know, down the road from the Ford plant and lived on the Rouge River, which is the famous river uh, uh, estuary there. And uh, so, I mean, I, I was raised in the arts too. Uh, we had to learn piano when we were four, in fourth grade, and then you could pick whatever instrument you wanted in fifth grade. And I chose, I chose the E-flat alto horn um, for some strange reason. Well, I wanted trumpet, but they wanted me to play trombone, and I said, no, I'll try this, uh, which is the instrument you try before you move on to French horn, which I then picked up uh, in sixth, seventh grade. And along the, along the way, I was, you know, classic singing in the Lutheran church and singing in the choirs at school and acting in the plays and putting on shows like, like a good Finnish boy, you know. And uh, so I'd say it influenced me part by, I did get out to nature in a sense that every summer I would go canoeing in Canada or uh, in my teens, I backpacked in the White Mountains of New Hampshire and all those sorts of things for a city kid, you know, that I was privileged to do, that I'd make money busting tables or whatever I had to do to get to do that in the summers. So it influenced me both in an industrial way, because a lot of my work is about city living and uh, the sounds of industry and uh, a lot of those pieces of what communities are like in an urban area. So I'd say that was a big influence there before my trek to the South, which was a cultural shock. 
uh, you know, moving to Nashville. And, you know, I remember my first, one of my first teachers in college, I said, are you going to speak in that accent the whole semester? <laughs> I mean, in terms of my writing, I didn't realize till I was in my 20s that I had already been writing and I actually thought everyone else was too. I actually was um, about to move to California when I dragged out some poems and read them for a group of people in Nashville. And they were like, well, when did you do that? Well, I was keeping a journal at night and I just assumed everyone else did that. So I had a, a record of thoughts, feelings. I mean, I had done a few lyrics for songs in Nashville, but never thought that seriously about what I had already been doing in my journals since, you know, I was in a summer camp in Michigan. You know, I found a notes where I had written a poem, you know, sitting at a lake. Um, so that's kind of how that sort of happened. I got out and read those poems. And uh, meanwhile, when I was thinking about going to California, I packaged up 10 or 20 of them and sent them to San Francisco State University and they accepted me in the master's program right away. Yeah. You mentioned earlier about, you know, being a good Finnish boy. And I know that you, <laughs> uh, for a number of years, had been doing um, uh, a cultural, a Finnish cultural excursion get together. Um, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that and, and and how that, like your role in it and how that, you know, influenced what you were writing or whatever. Yeah, well, I, and I did write specifically for um, uh, all the North American Finns get together every year uh, What's in what's called FinFest. Well, it's every two years, I think. And um, so I ended up performing at FinFest in places like Sault Ste. Marie in Canada and uh, in... Um, What's what, uh, in Duluth, uh, Minnesota, and, and wherever they would throw it, you know, basically where, uh, where the Finns gather, which is basically the Midwest and Seattle, where they primarily have them. They actually had one in San Diego as well. But I did write um, a little bit about the culture of the, um, the upper peninsula of Michigan, which I've spent a lot of time, with, time in over the years. So it's about the landscapes of Lake Superior, and being in the woods and a lot of family time with sometimes up to 90 people taking saunas and hanging out at the lake. So I have many pieces that uh, revolve around that sort of Northwoods sort of lifestyle. And um, there's a certain, uh, well, sisu is the Finnish word that's not translatable in English, but it's sort of an inner, of an inner power um, or uh, chutzpah maybe would be the closest I can think of. So um, there's a bit of that, I think, behind my in, behind the influence on some of my work. Would you say that your changing perspective as you moved around the country and, and were immersed in different cultures was a, a direct influence in not only what you wrote, but the need to write? Or was that just an innate thing? Well, I figured out that I was already a writer and I just hadn't really practiced it, which when, when I went to the San Francisco State uh, Poetry Program, um, I, wanted to, I wanted to study the other poets. And I think I mentioned a few of them to you, the, the early American uh, mid-century modernists, uh, as well as classics like Wordsworth and Keats and all that great stuff. And I wanted to formalize and actually write in traditional forms so I could learn how to break the rules because I was just freewheeling it at that point. I was more influenced at that point by, um, I mean, I had read poetry, of course, in high school or whatever, but uh, you know, I was more influenced by Joni Mitchell and 
Bruce Coburn at that point, what I, you know, that's what I was reading for poetry and Bob Dylan and those sorts of things. But I liked the formal uh, uh, work I did. I actually studied with Francis Mays who ended up writing Under the Tuscan Sun. I don't know if you're familiar with. Um, Young Me Kim and a couple other great Bay Area poets. Uh, really one-on-one, -on -one, it was an amazing experience. Um, so yes, culturally, um, from, from Midwest culture to, then I was in the entertainment business in Nashville, which was crazy and wild and wonderful, and hanging out in, with rock bands and bands and rock and roll clubs, uh, as well as working with big country stars. And um, there's a few humorous poems I do about that uh, in terms of uh, talking about those, those people and the culture. Unlike you and Joshua, who you both have been doing poetry for a long time, I took a poetry appreciation class in, in high school and it opened floodgates. But you're saying that this was happening as a part of just your everyday life from a very young age, right? That's true. I had thought about, uh, I mean, I, I learned music early on, of course, and I thought I might uh, more likely be a, a Broadway writer or a songwriter. Um, before I got into the, so to speak, management side of the music business. If you could uh, talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing now and influences now, and because you do, uh, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of it is about um, urban living, city living, you know, the sites, the sounds, the industry, et cetera. Um, and since you've moved to the Bay Area, you've become, uh, especially in the last you know year or two, uh, highly involved with uh, San Francisco Gaiman's Choir um, in a production role while continuing to write and uh, perform, et cetera. But if, uh, how, how have you, was it a seamless transition into that for you or was it, um, was it something that you specifically wanted to target uh, and how it, it largely impacts the, the overall artist that is Joseph and what you, uh, how and where and when you perform now. Right. Well, I did want to bring myself back around. I've been in and out of the entertainment business uh, as, they, as they paid the bills, so to speak. Um, but uh, uh, part of it was to give back to the community. And uh, a lot of my early writing was, you know, during a great uh, explosion of fun in the Castro. I, I'll not uh, shy away from that. Simultaneously, I was going to grad school. I was hanging out in the Castro and working at magazines and waiting tables and all these various things, you know, that were all feeding um, what I was writing at the time. So uh, I think coming to the course, that was part giving back to the community a bit. And also just to be in the creative space of that, we actually bought a beautiful new building on Valencia Street that's become the... Uh, National LGBTQ Center for the Arts. So it's also the collaboration part of this is is what's been really important and uh, made me think a little bit more because I'm an artist who, uh, as a poet, you get to work fairly independently. And uh, except when I collaborate with musicians and bring a show together, that's for live performance. Um, so it has all of those elements that, uh, you know, I think connect really well with how I think about creating art. Um, I had I had worked though in other uh, small theaters in San Francisco and with arts organizations like Intersection for the Arts and early we used to do crazy performance art with the lab that when it was on Divisadero and then in um, in the Mission so I had been around that world for quite some time. 
Is the Bay Area the longest you've been in one place? Absolutely, yeah. So you really feel home in that community. I did, I did the first day I moved into the Lower Haight, yeah. I don't want this interview to go by without touching on some poetry. You mentioned some of your favorite poets. I absolutely fell in love with Wallace Stevens of Modern Poetry. So I was hoping you could read Yeah, that I thought that was the most appropriate for today, actually. Yeah, could you read that for us? I do, I have it. Of Modern Poetry, the poem of the mind in the act of finding, what will suffice? It has not always had to find, the scene was set. It repeated what was in the script. Then the theater was changed to something else. Its past was souvenir. It has to be living to learn the speech of the place. It has to face the men of the time and to meet the women of the time. It has to think about war and it has to find what will suffice. It has to construct a new stage. It has to be on that stage and like an insatiable actor, slowly and with meditation, speak words that in the ear, in the delicatest ear of the mind, repeat exactly that which it wants to hear at the sound, of which an invisible audience listens, not to the play, but to itself, expressed in an emotion as of two people, as of two. Emotions becoming one. The actor is a metaphysician in the dark, twanging an instrument, twanging a wiry string that gives sounds passing through sudden righteousnesses, wholly containing the mind, below which it cannot descend, beyond which it will, upon, upon which it has no will to rise, it must be the finding of a satisfaction and may be of a man skating, a woman dancing, a woman combing, the poem of the act of the mind. So good. Yeah, I love that stuff. Mm. In the, the Great Sequester, I have that poem, it's just kind of funny, but um, I just have a little, had, had a little more time to contemplate and I've actually been enjoying it, oddly, um, realizing I didn't have to do all of these activities that I was up to. And this just came out of like the thought of six weeks in what I call a new quiet, a new silence, um, where it is a different way to confront your ideas, yourself, your craft, your writing, and all of those pieces. That's kind of where this comes from for me. It's called A New Silence. A consequence of enforced quiet, invasion of songs filled with rebellious youth and heralded ambiance of now. I didn't speak of anything, only heard the news of poets and guitars. A provoked inquisition worms a way forward. This is a reconfigured garden. I gave no hint of transgressions. Coolness descends at the best part of the day. A meditated walkabout extends, dissonant curves and gravel on the path, flowers claimed as purple and yellow, 
I like rocks I haven't named. Feet settle on the uneven terrain. A rhythm is recoiled. Mound of cacophony and spools meant for the other me. I take on water. The ship is worthy. This will be the tide that brings it home. Powerful. I have a quick, quick comment question. I know we've touched on it briefly before. Um, and one of the things I've, I've always known about you for the last 12 years or whatever that we've been friends is you read. It's, it's a constant. I have, don't know that I've ever seen you do a piece by rote. Is that by design or choice? Is it because you well, don't? I'll tell you the story. I did my very first reading all by, all by rote, you know, like an hour show. It was like doing a play for me. And what I tried to stop doing, because I was also doing theatrical pieces, which I think is a different art form. And I now find that how I write is also my sort of musical score to go by. And I often riff off them as well and not even sticking to my own words. So I have become a little dependent on the paper and not been memorizing them. Plus I keep writing these complicated things I can't remember. So, I mean, that's part of it. But I think uh, I am using it as score and my readings, I, I do intentionally have paper. Often I'm adding musicians and it gives me cues, uh, musical cues for them as well. But um, I would love to be able to memorize them all, but I change them up and and play with them. And I think that's, it's just a matter of discipline. I guess I could memorize more. Often when I've seen you uh, and seen your notations, even there's like, this is where so-and-so will begin. So I was, I guess the question was more of a matter of, um, um, or if it's just, as you said, uh, like an orchestration and, uh, you know, set notation as it were, so that you can reference it and then riff from it and go back to it. Uh, in the moment, as you often do. It is. And I'm often, you're seeing me often with brand new pieces I had written uh, just a week before or something, so I hadn't really um, committed to memory like that. I guess I think of um, a different thing as being an actor and memorizing a script. Well, I don't stick to the script and I change the order of things. And I mean, not of individual, individual pieces, but um, I don't have like just an act like Jerry Seinfeld that he just repeats like a stand-up comedian would repeat over and over. That's a different form for me. So would you say then that you're, I mean, I, I've seen you, uh, you riff and, and go, it's not a, a rope or a, a repeat performance. Like even when I hear you read the same pieces that I've heard you read over and over again, almost every single time I get something else. And um, even though your cadence is often the same, your emphasis changes. And is that, is that just a flow in the moment of reading the crowd or what a particular musician that you might be performing that piece uh, does? Um, how, how does that work for you? Is it a conscious process or? Yes, I reinterpret. Um, actually, what, especially when I have different collection of musicians, you know, if I have keyboards and, and violin and percussion, it's a different feel for me than if I just had a stand-up bass or if I'm just solo. Absolutely. Okay. Um, but, uh, I do like to revisit pieces and rework them in that sense. Um, and maybe how they flow. Um, I've enjoyed doing solo readings recently because I realize uh, 
I can let the production of uh, a band get in the way sometimes. So that's something uh, I have to be very careful about. Um, and it, well, you bring up an interesting point about performance versus uh, poems I think are for reading, uh, which is why I want to get another book out. I have many, many pieces I don't read in public because they don't, they don't read as well live as they are on the page or how they appear on the page, on the breasts and, and, and punctuation and all those pieces that you get from reading a book. That was actually going to be a question that I, I know that when I write, um, I typically, like I have a cadence, I've developed it's my own. Um, and if I read it to someone, it's always, it's read in the same cadence that it popped into my head, like a rhythm, right? Mm -hmm. Even regardless of the punctuation and all of that on page, it's one thing, but I was just wondering, do you, in as you're creating, as you're writing, is it, do you have a very specific um, like annotation cadence uh, pattern in your head that you're following um, either intentionally or unintentionally, or do you go back and reinterpret that after the words are down on paper? Uh, no, I, th well, I believe it comes out in the actual act of writing and the act of, it's kind of my idea uh, that, um, that a phrase or an idea um, have a sound and that I'm just finding the words to express them. And so I think it is in the act of writing that that's built. And that the magic of how that happens, I, I can't explain. Otherwise I'd be a millionaire, no. <laughs> but, uh, and I do rework pieces, so yeah. I, uh, uh, I'll go back and realize that uh, if I'm stumbling on a line when I'm rehearsing, I know that something's wrong with the poem. So I, I fix it, or I fix it live. <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> I really would like to, to know how the quarantine and COVID-19 has affected you and your community. I think COVID's been very interesting because I have very uh, intense calls with the people I work with uh, at the chorus and with my friends, and I can see it affecting people in wildly different ways. Some people are lonely, distressed, um, distraught. Um, I'm strangely happy not to have my five million activities that I'm usually involved in and being gone from eight in the morning to 11 at night and still trying to have a writing life. So um, it's affected me though, in terms of uh, great wonder about what comes next. Um, while also uh, like with the course, we're grabbing onto the opportunity to uh, do new creations uh, via Zoom or, or uh, different sorts of things like that. And I've had time to look back at some books I forgot I had and um, kind of dig in. And I think I mentioned like dig into my archives and put a new collection together and put some new pieces together. So I'm sort of inspired by the, the, the new silence, so to speak, that I get to have during this. And I'm fortunate to love the work, yeah. Thank you so much uh, for, for participating. Um, love to have you again thank you isaac thank you joseph thank you so much this has been a real treat yeah it's great to see you again and, and be participate